Okay, welcome back to On the Ground, uh, a podcast for the members of the Gathering Church in Peterborough. My name is Ben. I am your small, nervous host, and I am once again <laughs> here with Alex Klusterman and Rylan Auger. Guys, you came yeah. back. That means a lot to me. Yes. Well, we, you. You know, we appreciate you, Ben. I feel like we need to stop here and give a retrospective shout-out for the last no, 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 two podcasts. It's next. It's oh, next. okay. Ben, We are away. also here <laughs> with our intrepid intern. Malachi McCavney, who is the reason we no longer sound like we're having a conversation at the bottom of the Marianas Trench. So <laughs> thank you, Malachi. Yes, uh, thank you. So we're going to be switching gears a bit today. We spent several weeks trying to get our heads around uh, technology and how as Christians we should respond to it. And we are moving on now to a subject <coughs> close to all of our hearts because we all have kids and we want them to be educated. I assume you guys want your kids to be educated? Yes. Is that true? I certainly do. Okay. So we're on the same page there. Uh, it's a big subject. There's, there's quite a broad spectrum when it comes to Christian education, homeschooling, private schools, co-ops, and uh, Al's personal favorite, Christian unschooling. <laughs> um, where do we start? How should we think about these things? Uh, but before we get into that, let's just put up some scaffolding that will hopefully help us as we move forward, a foundation. Um, let's maybe first define um, what we mean by a Christian education, mm -hmm. uh, have a discussion about that, and then maybe talk about some reasons why it should be something that every Christian parent should be thinking through, at least, for their children. Mm -hmm. So one thing we were talking about before we went, we went live, before the mics got hot, <laughs> is... Uh, when you ask someone today, not about Christian education, just education, um, what they think education is probably isn't what the Bible refers to as education and probably isn't what Western culture has viewed education as up until very recently. We're talking like, what, last 70, 80 years maximum. Mm -hmm. So if you ask someone what it means to be an educated person, people's first thought probably goes to um, how much schooling you have and how much time you spent in an in, in institution. So the higher um, the level of degree you have, for example... The more letters you have in front of your the name. The more yeah. letters, the mm -hmm. more educated you mm -hmm. are. And certainly uh, you might be more educated, but school or institution and education are not synonymous. And you can be a very... Uh, you can have a lot of letters and you can have spent a lot of time accomplishing a lot in an institution and be a very uneducated person mm -hmm. because education is much broader and all-encompassing um, than simply what you might learn at an institution, especially today, especially mm -hmm. because our institutions are increasingly narrow in the scope and fragmented in the way that they teach and uh, the issues of our humanity that they address. So... I mean, before we even talk about Christian education, we're already up against a kind of a, a worldview of education that's just, frankly, very uneducated. <laughs> um, do you have anything to contribute to that? Yeah, well, my, even just as we are saying, you know, we're all parents, and we're thinking about how we need to train children. I'm thinking about how I, I wish I was more educated. Yeah. <laughs> I think about how uh, I actually just read a really great little uh, blog by Justin Taylor, and he's talking about Christian education, and, and he's saying how um, 
it actually isn't just for parents and institutions, but education is something that just pertains to the Christian life, period. Yeah. And I think that's maybe what you're mm -hmm. getting at, is yeah. that it's, it's not just about the institutional schooling. That's not education. They're not synonymous. They're not the same. Um, education is, is coming back to something more foundational, um, you know, it's the training of the whole person. Yeah, yeah. I think you tossed around earlier the word worldview. Mm -hmm. uh, it's coming back to the yeah, the whole person, the worldview. Who am I and why am I here? And, and education is fostering those things. Mm -hmm. School is a part of that. Yeah, yeah. I toss that word, word around a lot. It's a good word. It makes me sound like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I think... But Everyone needs some of those words <laughs> you just toss around. <laughs> so are we, are we going to go into worldview yeah. later? No, okay. Yeah, later. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I was going to read two passages in Scripture that really help us understand mm. what is education and why is it important. Uh, one from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, 4-9, and one from the New, Ephesians 6, 1-4. I had those on my page too. Nice. Hey. Well done, guys. Nice. Um, Deuteronomy 6 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. And then he talks about education. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. In the New Testament, Paul writes in Ephesians 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. So there's a really helpful article Dr. Peter Gentry writes uh, on these passages, Raising Children the Christian Way. I would commend that to you. You can Google it and it will come up. Uh, a couple main things we see from these passages. Um, one, the education is the passing on of a worldview. It is not just um, several subjects that we learn. It's the passing on to the next generation an entire way of viewing the world. It is all-encompassing. I'm just going to quote Gentry at this point. He says, The Bible does not divide up education into subjects, some of which are sacred and some of which are secular. When if in Ephesians, Paul says, bring them up, this verb is referring to all aspects of education, whether we are talking about mathematics or about moral training. The words of which Moses speaks in Deuteronomy are the instructions of the covenant, and as such, define a relationship with God and relationships with their fellow humans, characterized by loyal love and trust, and also proper relationships with the environment as good stewards of the earth's resources. Thus, these words in Deuteronomy 6.6 6 entail all aspects of instruction in life and living, from boundary markers on farm properties to boundary markers in sex. So according to Scripture, an education is dealing with all of life. It's dealing with the whole person uh, all of the time in all of life. And um, that is a much more comprehensive view of education than mm -hmm. I think we have today. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, just something I was thinking about as you're reading that. Um, I think kind of the first encroachment of secularism, if we can call that, even in Christian schools, mm -hmm. is not when they start teaching 
um, that the earth is millions of years old mm -hmm. uh, or any number of other things, but it's when this divide has almost unconsciously been established mm -hmm. where it's like, yes, we have our class of Bible, we have our Bible class, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then we go over here and talk about math and science, yep. and these mm -hmm. things are not related in any way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, one of the applications is we don't divide education into religious and non-religious. Yeah. Um, that's a, that's a, mis a misunderstanding both of what religion is, because everything is functioning from a religious world. Yeah. There's no, we're all worshipers. The, yeah, yeah, we're all worshipers. We all function out of a view of who God is, whether he's real or not real, or she or it or nothing, and the way the world actually is. Um, so there's no such thing as an irreligious education mm -hmm. in, in a mm -hmm. true sense. And a false view of education that's reductionistic, simplistic, compartmentalized. Mm -hmm. That that's not, that's not what an education is. And a lot of Christian schools, as we're going to transition to what is a Christian education, mm -hmm. um, kind of a by this worldview, as you said. Like, we'll teach science and math and reading, and we'll have our Bible class. And what you're doing is you're teaching kids something about the world that is just untrue. You're teaching them about something false about the way the world actually is. Mm -hmm. I was just thinking even a helpful transition into that is, again, go back to my point, that education isn't just for kids, but it's actually, it is mm -hmm. actually for Christians. Mm -hmm. um, in Matthew 28, when Jesus gives his commission to the church, what he essentially commands them is, yes, go baptize them in my name and teach them to observe all that I've commanded. Mm -hmm. And the essence of the Christian life is actually one of education. Mm -hmm. It's actually one of of bringing uh, the truth and enlightening people to the reality of we are made by God, we have a purpose mm -hmm. in accordance with what he has made, and that purpose now comes uh, to a head in Christ. And, and so when we talk about Christian education, really, that's, a, that's not just what we're passing on to our children. That's what we're passing on, period, as Christians mm -hmm. to the world, is, mm -hmm. is educating people in the whole person, the whole worldview of, like, yeah. why are we here? What are, yeah. we, what are we doing? Two other things he mentions that are important and shared in these passages are, one, parents bear the primary responsibility for education. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something we see has drastically changed in, in mm -hmm. recent times. That if even now you see battles over what is the role and the responsibility and the authority of teachers and educators. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's battles in Ontario over, you know, who has the right and who has the authority. I mean... There's legislation now that, that gives teachers enormous amounts of authority and actually inhibits and restricts parental authority. Mm -hmm. And this is something that across different cultures and across history would be unthinkable mm -hmm. until very recently. Mm -hmm. And uh, Christians need to think about buying into that um, way of thinking. And one way it plays out is a lot of Christians don't think about their responsibility. Mm -hmm. They think well, if I just send my child to this school, I'm fulfilling my responsibilities. Mm -hmm. As long as I um, read the Bible to them and, uh, you know, they go to school, that's what it is. But parents need to be taking responsibility for thinking through mm -hmm. the whole education of their child. Now, does that mean parents can't delegate authority and responsibility? No. Mm -hmm. That we see in Scripture that um, even, like, a Hebrew child could could learn from in the synagogue and and uh, that there's teachers given to the body, but it doesn't mean that parents are the exclusive educators. Mm -hmm. And you see some homeschool people fall into that rut, which is unbiblical as well. But they are the primary ones. Mm -hmm. And 
if Christians decide to seek help in particular ways in the education of their children, that's definitely permissible and can be helpful. But they need to do that with intentionality and with thoughtfulness, taking the responsibility. I, I think to add to that, the, uh, that primary burden that the scriptures place upon parents, um, for anyone who's not a parent, it places that burden on us to see that we are giving that responsibility to parents and that we're not taking it away, which is what you're saying the, school, like, the public and secular world is doing. They're mm-hmm. trying to strip that away. So I might not be a parent. I, mean, I am in particular, but you, know, you might not be a parent out there, and you still as a Christian have a responsibility to see that we're giving parents the ability to, to do what they are called to, by mm-hmm. God to do, which is to educate their children, mm-hmm. to function and flourish in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what I mean by saying Christian education is a Christian thing. It's a Christian way of thinking. Mm-hmm. And even as we think about education, and far, as far as uh, in a family context, I was just reading yesterday in a book talking about worldviews are, 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 are most instilled, that they're most impactful when children witness not just... Uh, being exposed to principles and um, and straight didactic teaching, but witnessing a whole life. So yeah. witnessing their parents um, going to church on Sunday and, mm-hmm. and praying at the dinner table and in a difficult time, you know, praying together mm-hmm. and all of these things. That's the most powerful witness yep. uh, to a mm-hmm. child. Yeah, yeah. Gentry says <clears throat> the last thing on that passage, especially in Deuteronomy, it's formal and informal. Mm-hmm. So it's what you say to them and what you demonstrate to them. Yeah. And then the, this idea of imitation is massive in the New Testament. Follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate those leaders who are worthy of imitation. That It's not whether we will imitate, it's who, and it's what we will. And Christians ought to be um, setting an example for their children in all of life. And we recognize all of life is an education, whether it's explicitly what we teach them or what we demonstrate. So, yeah. All right. Um, well, let's keep talking about this. Hey, <laughs> let's, keep, let's keep it going. <laughs> are, are we done there? Well, no. Uh, well, I mean, we could take this conversation in any number of directions. Mm. Um, that's kind of some principles of, of oh, what are we talking about when we're talking about Christian education? Uh, it's not just a... Um, one aspect of life. It, it, it's the whole life, training the whole character, the whole person. Um, maybe we could just go around and, and maybe briefly talk about our experience in education mm-hmm. um, and, and just briefly say um, maybe some positive things or, or things that maybe you, you didn't feel were helpful. We don't have to name names, uh, <laughs> but uh, maybe that would just give us a background from where we're coming from. Shout out to Mrs. Porter. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget you. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's funny, even as you say that, <laughs> I can see how I'm ingrained to think about education just as, wh- where did I go to school? <laughs> like, I start thinking those questions. Mm. Um, but yeah. Which is part of it. We're not saying school is not part of education. No, no just I'm, just, I'm just you commenting. It's education. funny how that's where my thought first goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, that, that is important, actually. We'll, I mean, we'll probably 
come to at some point an application of saying like where you send your kids to school actually does matter. But yeah, yeah, thinking about my own education, I actually had a unique experience in school that I actually went to every single school board. So I was in the public school board for a bit and then I was in the Christian school board for a bit, like the private school board. And then I was also in the Catholic school board. Nobody wanted you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, we just, just kick them out. Yeah. Just moving around. Uh, yeah, there was other things like money and stuff involved there. But um, the the funny thing is, is that being in all those, you see a lot of similarities. And I think that comes down to, again, there's been a shift, as Alex was saying, in the way we view education. So even in, you know, from the public or to the Catholic or to the Christian, I, I experienced the similar methodology, yes. really, yeah. in each circumstance. Right. And ironically, in, in some maybe a more um, arrogant view of mm. thinking, well, because we are you know, Catholic or Christian, we're doing this better. Mm. Um, so I, I remember thinking that about my schooling. Um, I, I, I think about you know, my, um, the people in my life. I don't remember having a lot of like, people to look to to imitate when I was younger. Mm. I remember thinking that, especially in my um, teen years and late teen years, thinking, oh, I don't, there aren't a lot of people in my life that I sort of look to to emulate. Or, um, and so I remember that was definitely something lacking in my education, is not having a sense of, of who should I look to follow and trying to, for myself, figure out, okay, well, what do I do based on whatever I've learned? I feel a lot of my educational shortcomings and fall, uh, um, yeah, is all a result of that, like not having someone to imitate. And I think that that's a really important thing that I, that I missed out on. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, I actually had a really good experience in school up until grade six. And uh, I went to a country school and there was a strong um, encouragement for parents to be involved and I, I i remember my mom was part of a mother's prayer group that the teachers all knew about that the students knew about that mm. were praying That's at awesome. least weekly for the students they would get together um, the parents were really involved you know my mom actually always happened to come in when i was in trouble in the hallway i remember that <laughs> distinct- i remember standing against the wall and just you know twiddling my thumbs and just looking at the end of the hall which there's nowhere to hide in the hallway. And seeing the door open and my mom walking in. It's like and something just, out of The Shining. Yeah, I'm just like, where <laughs> do I hide? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, overall, I guess it was a good thing she was involved, just not those days. And she led the choir. Mm. And, um, you know, you could have open conversations with the principal. And it, it was a really good experience that I think was actually quite unique. So... Um, and then at home, my parents were very intentional about, I think my dad really had this idea that, you know, the school plays a role, but we bear primary responsibility. And hmm. and I just knew, I just trusted my dad. So he, you know, we would often at the dinner table have conversations, why is this right? Or why is this wrong? Or we would discuss something hmm. that happened in the day and he would use it as an opportunity to teach us and and it wasn't about just blindly following someone it was about having conversation and trying to persuade us of the truth and you know family devotions every night saying the lord's prayer reading from the bible i i realized and i think all my siblings would say that even though 
you know, I wasn't taught by Christians. The primary influences in my life were Christians, hmm. and that really helped. Um, that helped a lot. It helped us to be critical of what we were thinking through and receiving in school. And yeah, so I mean, up until grade six, I, I just am a testimony to, you know, the power of being in a Christian home and mm. having a school that is welcoming of Christians. And um, that was good. I don't think that environment exists anymore. No, I don't. Th- um, it'd be pretty rare. Yeah, but uh, I had a good experience until there. And Moved to the city school, and yeah, things changed drastically from there. But mm. praise God for Harold. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, had a similar kind of experience to Ryland, where I was in the public school for a few years uh, earlier on, and then moved to a Christian school, which was a very positive experience. Um, yeah, I actually, I saw. You know, there were things about my experience at a Christian school that was actually really amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. And one of those things was the attitude of the teachers. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just remember really appreciating the teachers more. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they were invested in the students and uh, um, seemed to believe what they were teaching. And um, But I, I feel like that kind of all broke down in high school. I don't know. High school felt like a very isolating, um, strange world. Mm-hmm. And I, I was definitely not prone to academics uh, at that point in my life. And, and uh, it was all very daunting and, and disconnected. And I didn't really understand why I was learning certain things. They didn't seem to have a direct impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there just there wasn't that, that larger unified whole that it was all coming from. But again, uh, grateful for my mom who, who was diligent in teaching us about the gospel and living that out. And, and uh, that was a great experience. But definitely, um, there's that saying, the, the youth is wasted on the youth. Mm-hmm. And, and kind of looking back, going, oh, I, I really, I wasn't excited about education. Mm-hmm. And as I've been reading certain books lately, lately I, I wonder if that is inevitable mm-hmm. or if there's there's things maybe we could change to oh, yeah. to ma- to help children to be excited about to education. love learning yes to love learning yeah yeah and that's a big part of a christian education mm-hmm. it's not only to you know feed them with knowledge but to get them to give them the tools to learn and the love of learning which is the big push of proverbs yeah yeah essentially like yeah the yeah, whole wisdom. the whole uh, argument there, to love the way wisdom. he's describing wisdom as something like desirable precious yeah. desirable yeah it's to love yeah. wisdom heed my advice child yeah are we gonna get to bill nye yes <laughs> we are gonna get to bill nye is bill nye on the docket so it's amazing <laughs> i accidentally sent some questions to al i wasn't ready to send but i, I was <laughs> thinking through kind of um some different questions that might come up um so in terms of Bill Nye, I don't know whether you guys watched it, uh, a few years ago posted a video essentially saying, uh, telling parents not to teach their children about um, things like creation, um, because what the world, uh, I'm assuming, needed needs most, according to Bill Nye, is these kind of empirically minded uh, secular, naturalistic scientists, right? Without all that kind of baggage of Christian. He's kind of a, a plea for um, not indoctrinating them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, if we're talking about Christian education, 
um, are we depriving our society of, of useful citizens? Mm -hmm. um, according to Bill Nye, we would be. Mm -hmm. what, would you, what would you guys say about that? Um, well, first, it was such a disappointment because I grew up watching Bill I Nye. I know. That's and then what we started I coming out being all yeah. like hating on Christians and like pro-abortion. And I thought this is a great case study of someone who has a lot of training but no education. Mm -hmm. And it was such a narrow-minded ideological statement. That's, that's a good example of what we're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. So I, I think his assumption, and we would share this, to be useful citizens in the world, you need to be equipped to function in the world as it actually is. Now, um, the underlying assumption for the materialist, and for Bill Nye apparently, is that the Christian worldview is not the way the world is. And um, therefore, uh, teaching children the Christian worldview does not prepare them to mm -hmm. be good citizens. And we would grant that. If the Christian worldview is wrong, um, it is not helpful and should not be taught to children, and it won't produce helpful citizens. So we would, if his assumption is true, then we would grant that. Uh, but this begs the question, is the Christian worldview false? And is our view of the world wrong? And does the naturalistic worldview give us a more accurate picture of reality? Um, which we would say, no, that's, that's not true. That the Christian worldview is not avoiding of reality, but is dealing with it. There's also the assumption kind of in that question, Ben, that Christians are not empirically minded. So he's creating a dichotomy. He's saying, look, you can teach your kids about myths, or you can teach them to be reasonably yes. empirically minded yeah. people who deal with the facts and evidence that's presented to us. And we want to reject that, that false dichotomy that mm -hmm. we need to choose between Christianity or fact-based um, observation about the world. We want to say... Uh, Christians do not deny what can be observed. We simply acknowledge, um, and we don't deny any evidence that's presented. We just simply acknowledge that there is more evidence than a naturalist will mm -hmm. will take into account. Mm -hmm. and, and that's a big difference. Yeah. And it just seems crazy. Like, just look back in history two centuries, mm -hmm. and that dichotomy will be totally destroyed. Yeah. Like, some of the greatest thinkers have been Christians, mm -hmm. uh, Blaise Pascal and, and uh, Isaac Newton mm -hmm. and various thinkers. I mean, it just mm -hmm. doesn't hold any weight. No. These were very rational people, but yeah. also held to a robust Christian faith. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so th this is kind of the water that we swim in now. And a lot of Christians simply adopt that. They just, they, they adopt the um, they don't push back on that assumption. They don't say, whoa, 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 whoa. Who, who gives you the corner on observation? Mm and on reason. And when did you, you kind of just steal those things as if they belong to you, and we're left with some mythology that we're embarrassingly trying to hold on to. And Christians need to stop and say, look, we are not opposed to reason. We do not ignore evidence. The difference between present, the present view of naturalism and the Christian is not they believe in evidence, we don't. It's that we have room for more evidence than you do that you have an in inherently biased and narrow view of the world that, yes. ironically, you feel is more neutral and, and open. Yes. But we can accept everything that can be observed in the world and then more. Yeah. And so we need to... I, I feel like I could rant on this alone, but mm -hmm. Christians 
when you adopt that view, you're you're giving ground that you shouldn't give. Mm. So I feel like we should introduce Bill Nye to Tom Holland, the historian. Yeah. <laughs> so that uh, probably Bill Nye's problem is maybe he's not a historian. Well, he's definitely not. Yeah. Hence, he's ignoring some of the, the obvious realities that Ben pointed out. Some of the great thinkers who are rational were Christians. Mm-hmm. But yeah. Tom Holland in particular is actually a guy, I don't know if he still claims to be an atheist, but he essentially... Agnostic. Yeah, okay. Where he talks about how he used to feel the same way as Bill Nye. Uh, and uh, like, I just don't like Christianity. I don't want to be around. Very against it. And then by virtue of being like studying history and realizing we owe a lot of the almost, you know, all the positive things of our society, our ethics, our morals have a root in Christian thinking. Mm-hmm. We get them from them. They mm-hmm. shaped our world, the Christians, for the better. Mm-hmm. And Tom Holland is not a believer, but he would say that. Yeah. And, and it's like, well, there's a man who is educated. Mm-hmm. He's and not simply because he agrees with me, but yeah. it's because he actually still disagrees with me. Mm-hmm. And yet... He's willing to acknowledge... Is yes. willing to acknowledge yes. that it's, there's not just a write-off here. Christians right. have been helping society. Yeah. So it's not as blunt and, like you said, it's an ideologue or an ideological just statement of mm-hmm. fact that, well, isn't fact. And we see that middle that. ground increasingly disappearing yeah. uh, mm-hmm. in education, where you're either for us or you're against us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And ironically, as you were saying, uh, for all of the rhetoric about open-mindedness, mm-hmm. it's like you can be open-minded within this specific set of ideologies. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start getting into theology and ultimate truth and mm-hmm. all of these things, well, you're, that's, that's no, you're out of bounds. Yeah. You can't think that way. Yeah, we're going to get to open-mindedness in the next, the next question you have, but it's, I mean, a great example of that is the uh, universities. I mean, universities, historically, a university of the liberal arts is to be a place of all places as an institution yes. where you have the freedom to explore opposing views and to um, have your assumptions challenged and to have your mind expanded by mm-hmm. different perspectives. And what places in our culture are less open-minded than university campuses, yep. statistically? Yep. And, and, you know, it's, it's actually anti-educational. Mm-hmm. But another thing... Sorry. Sorry, did you want to keep going? Well, I that? just wanted okay. to say, back to the Bill Nye thing, the other problem with that, you know, Bill Nye is, is hugely moralistic. So, you know, I'm like, hey, man, I liked when you poured, like, soda and, like, water together and it blew up a balloon. When you start yeah. talking about moral issues... I just don't want to, like, you just are way out of your depth here. But <laughs> the problem with his worldview is a naturalist. All there is, the assumption is all there is, is what we see. It's the physical world. That is, their, that is the definition, the foundation of their worldview. There is no God. There is no transcendent reality. There is no standard that we all submit to. There is just this. And we can observe this, and we can challenge, and we can test this. But where exactly do morals fit into that? Where exactly do you get off saying this is right and this is wrong? And what do you, when you start talking about good citizens, yeah. what do you mean good? And why in the world should we have good citizens? And what standard did they have to hold to? And the, and at this point, you know, you saw Hitchens do this with when when. Um, Doug Wilson would talk to him, we'd ask him this question, where's your foundation for morality? He would turn around with incredulity and say, well, everyone knows this is wrong. But that misses the question. He's like, yeah, maybe we do, but why? Mm-hmm. 
And the, and the naturalist worldview has no foundation. They can shout about abortion rights, whether it's right or wrong. They can shout about being good citizens. They can shout about and moralize about everything. And they do. But there's no reason for it. Yeah. And Whereas fi- the, the Christian does have a reason. Yeah. And 50 years ago, you could have asked that question. Well, everybody knows the killing of unborn children is wrong. Yeah. Right? And that would just have been an assumption. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But when you don't have stable absolutes... Yeah. Well, you're just carried along by the will of a majority yeah. or, or a powerful government or whatever Exactly, it is. And, and then consensus becomes the standard. And, and, because, like, yeah. and can we just say that's a terrifying That is a to terrifying idea. Yeah. You think about being, you know, a black person in, south, in southern states in 1860, or you think about being a Jew in Germany. Let's talk about consensus, right? Let's talk about societal views. I mean... Are we not trying to have changed society's perspectives on, um, say, women and abortion? Say progressives want to do that. Why are you doing that? If this is a consensus and consensus is right, why would you try to change that? Well, you're trying to change that because you don't actually believe that. That you believe society can believe something that is totally wrong and unethical, and we have a responsibility to change that. So even appealing to, well, everyone knows this. One, not everyone does. Mm-hmm. You bring up ideas of rape. Not everyone knows rape is wrong. Not everyone knows murder is wrong. Um, and, and are you saying that if everyone agrees that something is right and wrong, that it is? Well, that doesn't hold either. So we would say, you know, Christians, going back to education, actually can self-examine. We can say, why do we believe what we believe? And, and, um, and that's something that naturalists just can't do. Yeah. It's, te- it's, telling, it's telling that during the Reformation, um, the, the kind of religious man that existed at that time, there were many bad things about it. It mm-hmm. was a dark time. But it also allowed the opportunity for one man with his Bible to stand up and say, this is wrong. Mm-hmm. And everyone would have to pay attention, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, there was this assumption of, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are absolutes. There is a transcendent absolute. Mm-hmm. We no longer live in that age. We're mm-hmm. kind of psychological man where what we feel and what we think is most important. But we are, um, maybe just finally, Al, uh, we could uh, address just one more question, and Rylan. Um, are parents who insist on prioritizing uh, Christian education just trading one form of indoctrination for another? Um, mm-hmm. We kind of touched on this, but don't we want to raise open-minded, unbiased individuals? Yeah. So indoctrination and most, <clears throat> I'm assuming when people hear that, or they use that word, they're thinking of mindless clones, you know, people incapable of thinking for themselves who are just passive recipients of whatever they're told. And uh, in that sense, indoctrination is a bad thing, and Christians would say that's a bad thing. That's not an education. Um, But people also level the charge of indoctrination uh, in the sense that you believe what you're taught. Or if they don't like your opinions or worldview, they say you've simply been indoctrinated. But indoctrination in one sense is inescapable. Mm-hmm. And even if you say, well, I don't believe in indoctrinating, so I won't teach or I won't set an example, you are teaching and yes. setting an example yeah. for people. You are just as loudly saying or not saying something about the way the world is and what people should do in this world. So in another sense... Yeah, let's avoid mindless conformity and passive recipients of information. But trying to pretend that teaching is wrong and that leading and shepherding children and telling them what's right is evil is not only wrong, but it's, it's hypocritical 
everyone mm-hmm. teaches. Mm-hmm. It's whether we are true. Mm-hmm. And our culture is a problem with that. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned an ideologue. And an ideologue is someone, I would say one of the defining characteristics of someone who's an ideologue is not someone who has an idea, um, who functions out of a worldview. An ideologue is someone who is incapable of self-reflection and who feels no need for justification, Mm -hmm. that they don't feel any need to defend and justify their beliefs. They feel self-justified and they feel no need for self-reflection. And... Um, They just assume that they're right and and other people are wrong. And that's actually a very dangerous worldview. When you talk about, and and so we need to think, okay, are Christians the one who are ideologues? You know, and I would say in the best of situations, no, Christians are the most free from ideology. And it's a secular world that is most ideological. When we think about open-mindedness, we were talking about the Chesterton quote, you know, um, he was dealing with this. An open mind has the same purpose of an open mouth. It's meant to close on something. And so people today will level the charge and say, you're closed-minded if you have settled convictions mm-hmm. on something. Mm-hmm. And the problem with that is is multiple. One, again, if you say it is closed-minded to have settled convictions, you are expressing a settled conviction. So you are contradicting yourself. So you you it's impossible to not have settled convictions. Um, The question is not whether we will have them, but whether we can acknowledge them. And so, you know, in the naturalistic worldview we're talking about, they have no reason for morality, and they can't acknowledge um, their presuppositions. When they say things like, we are totally unbiased, for example, this is a phrase that comes up in in university, right? What are the biases? (laughs) And... Um, I remember being in seminar and it was like the only thing people could say commenting on the journal article was looking at the degree the person had and whether or not it was in the same field. And if it wasn't, they would say, oh, they're biased. Therefore, nothing in here is credible. And underneath that is the assumption that you can be totally unbiased. But we know that that's just not true. Yeah. That every single person functions out of a worldview and a set of ideas that are inescapable and necessary to any thought. So the naturalist who says that they're totally neutral and unbiased and just merely observing what is around them is not telling the truth because they have to assume the world is a certain way, that there is a certain order to the world that is not chaos. Otherwise, the methods of observation and testing would have no validity whatsoever. And even if they respond and say, well, look, we've done these tests millions of times and they show us that the world is orderly you could still say but if the, it's circular but if the world wasn't orderly what would those tests mean to you they, they wouldn't tell you something you still have to assume that mm-hmm. so the question is not whether we can be totally open-minded and have no biases whatsoever and be totally neutral that's not possible for anyone or desirable or desirable <clears throat> it's whether we can acknowledge mm. why we believe what we believe whether we are open to criticism and defending what we believe. Mm -hmm. And I think this is where the case for a Christian education makes sense, especially in a polarizing world, in an ideological world, is not having Christians who memorize Bible verses and nothing else, but people who can have a rigorous view of the Christian life and worldview Mm -hmm. and how it interacts with all of life. Mm-hmm. and be able to winsomely, persuasively, and graciously defend that, mm-hmm. you know. 
my thought um, for actually a lot of this podcast. And I was like, how are we going to get to this? But the, at the center of the Christian worldview is is Christ. Like in one sense, we haven't we haven't mentioned that, but um, it's a good point. We, yeah, when we talk about like teaching a, like a Christian worldview, education, Christian education. We're talking about bringing people to the foundation of all existence. Yeah. All things uh, were created by him yeah. and for him and through him. And, uh, and people who are educators actually got this. Um, uh, mm-hmm. This is an amazing, uh, speaking about you know, pushing parents for a Christian education, Luther actually said this about um, uh, schools that don't teach with the worldview of Christians. He says, I am much afraid that schools will prove to be the great gates of hell unless they diligently labor in explaining the scriptures. You know what, I just suppose Luther would speak his mind once in a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he was, he was known for uh, that. But this is, this is ama- amazing as well. The, the Harvard founders wrote this about their like vision and goal. Let every student be plainly instructed and earnestly pressed to consider well the main end of his life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ, which is eternal life, and therefore to lay Christ in the bottom as the only foundation of all sound knowledge and learning. And seeing the Lord only giveth wisdom, let everyone seriously set himself mm-hmm. by prayer in secret to seek mm-hmm. it of him. So to see all of reality through the lens of Christ is not to put blinders over yourself. Yeah. It's actually to open your eyes to the way the world is and to be the most free to acknowledge all of your presuppositions and mm-hmm. all of your beliefs and put them plainly before everything else we can know and test and find the coherence of all of reality. Precisely. If by indoctrination you mean being into a closed bubble of this is what we will learn and nothing else, mm-hmm. then the rest of the world is doing that. But if by you know teaching and freeing the mind... Um, you, that's what you want in education, you have to come to Christ because mm-hmm. everything, uh, you, the, the Bible tells us yeah. that only, can, only the, in him can you understand yeah. the purpose, the goal, the meaning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the idea that, that the world, you know, is not created, that it's like, your life means nothing, if that's mm-hmm. what it is. It's like, w- there is no meaning. You can, you can tell yourself until the day that you die that you have meaning, but only in the Christian worldview can we actually discover meaning for mm-hmm. the world and the things we have. And that's why Christian education is so important, mm. because that's when our life actually will be the most satisfying, is when we realize it has a place in something else outside mm-hmm. of ourselves. Yeah. Great. Uh, well, some great thoughts, guys. I, we're going to continue to land this plane over maybe the next one or two episodes mm-hmm. to continue to put things on the ground for our listeners. But these things are important. Uh, ideas do have consequences, and they're often just assumed. And we do need to be thinking about these things, especially as it concerns the lives of our children. These, How we think about things is, is going to have a deep impact on the next mm-hmm. generation. Mm-hmm. Um, So uh, uh, we hope you'll join us next week for On the Ground. We'll see you then.